0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: I'm Angela Bishop, and for the past 30 years, I've been lucky enough to interview some of the funniest, loveliest, and zaniest celebrities around. There have been some cracker interviews, but what you see on TV is usually just a fraction of what's actually recorded. I've been looking back on some of my favourite interviews from the last three decades, and you're in for a treat. You're going to hear the best bits, worst bits, edited, unedited, all with a bit of a backstory from me. Find out what went off before the cameras went on. This is Starstruck, with me, Ange Bishop. child stars we love them they're clever cute and catapulted into the spotlight often pulling the focus away from their adult co-stars but it can't be easy with long hours on set away from home and family and then what happens when they're all grown up well let's find out I've put together a selection of my favorite chats with former child stars our first celebrity today is probably better known as Eddie Munster the werewolf son of the Monsters, which ran from 1964 to 1966.
0: The Monsters was my third series I was 11 and 12 but I actually started acting at seven.
2: What was the first thing you did?
0: General Hospital. First year I was on the air. I was Dr. Hardy's girlfriend's son I had very minimal work but it was good experience I'm seven years old. Then I did a year of the real McCoys when I was nine years old Walter Brandon, Richard Crenna, good stuff there. Then the Monsters came along and uh, you know I was already somewhat of a seasoned veteran and that show was the one that really launched me into the you know stratosphere as far as TV kid acting.
2: The Monsters was not the only TV show that premiered in 1964. Another spooky sitcom hit the screens that very same week, The Addams Family. And there was certainly a healthy rivalry between the two
0: shows. We were at Universal and they were at Screen Gems. Yeah. We were on Thursday night, they were on Friday night. Still. But the fact that there was two shows of similar nature, actually I think we each benefited from the each other's existence. Because whether or not you preferred the Munsters or the Adams Family, there was a very good chance you watched both.
2: You had the better cars.
0: So we had the first Hot Rods on television built by George Barris, who then went on to build the Batmobile and all the other TV cars you'd ever mm-hmm. see. So for me, when I would read the script on Monday morning, and every time there would be the Munster coach would be in the script, it would be a big ticket item for me. because two things. We would be outside, because we had a very dark, digi set, and I'd be sitting in the little coachman's seat in the back, riding around in the coolest Hot Rod on television on a very successful show.
2: The series catapulted Patrick into the spotlight, but sadly for him, he fell into the classic demise of a child star. By the age of 22, he was burnt out and caught up in a cycle of drugs and alcohol, and barely made it out unscathed.
0: Surviving is a good word. When I turned 17 or 18, I did a show called Lidsville, Saturday morning show for Sid and Marty Croft. When I was 16, I left the country to do a movie with no teacher and no parent for three months in Brazil. My sister likes to say when I left, I left as Richie Cunningham and I came back three months later as John Lennon because I really enjoyed partying. And I was only 16 years old and that kind of sent me off to the races to a life of, uh, yeah, let's, let's put it, sex, drugs, rock and roll was you know, was an understatement. I kind of took a left turn and stopped acting because I didn't have any desire to continue working and I, kind of, I, I actually have only been clean five years but five years ago I, got, you know, I basically got, got it together and uh, got over my problems.
2: How long did you go?
0: I had 40 years out. 40 years out in the ozone, yeah, and I survived. I was a functioning alcoholic, drug addict, but uh, nonetheless, it was I was I still was doing what I was doing, but it caused me a lot of grief, you know. But uh, I'm back now. It
2: cost you a lot of money too,
0: I guess. Well, you, two things: you're spending money, you're not making money. Yeah. So while you're, well, you're not, and your credibility goes down the toilet, so nobody wants to hire you, and you're not dependable, and it, it's it's a, it's an unfortunate situation. But in Hollywood, it was acceptable behavior in the 60s and 70s. You know, you could get away with murder and. People would enable you, and people would want to be your yes man, and they would supply you with things, and it just was easy to go down that path if you wanted to do it. And I did it really well. I was a really good partier. It was a bad situation, and although most people didn't know about it, I tell people now about it because it's an epidemic, and by my success, I lead by example. So people figure, if after 40 years, if I can do it, and the reason I share that with people is that they can do it. An education was offered to me. Someone reached out, gave me a sponsorship to a really cool place in California, and I got to come home. And it just all fell into place and I stopped everything on November 21st, 2010. Haven't done anything since. I didn't know how extraordinary it was until people explained it to me that it's very unusual for someone with that long term of addiction to be able to just stop everything. So I got lucky.
2: It's hard to imagine something you do as a kid sticking with you your whole life. But for Butch, the monsters will always be a highlight. So much so... He still pays homage to the series that made him.
0: I have these tribute cars, the original right. cars in a museum in, uh, in Miami. Right. The second Dragula is floating around and it's not really sure where it is, but a friend of mine built two cars 12 years ago. He wanted to sell them earlier this year. I wound up purchasing them and I did 75 appearances in nine months touring the eastern United States with the car, the trailer and the truck. It was pretty cool.
2: For Munster's fans around the world, he's still answering that one burning
0: question. The number one question when people come to the table is, where's Woof Woof? No matter not how tall is Herman, <laughs> not did the cars run, where's Woffle That
2: How tall was Herman?
0: He was 6'7 in his stocking feet and 7 foot with his uh, shoes on.
2: Anyone who grew up watching Little House on the Prairie will remember the little girl with the golden curls. She looked so sweet, didn't she? But Nellie Olsen, as we all know, was the villain. Always out to get our hero half-pint, Laura Ingalls. But the actress who played her, Alison Arngrim, I can promise you, is one of the most fantastic human beings I've ever had the privilege to meet. Not only is she funny, she's clever, she's completely bilingual, speaks French fluently. She has also done some incredible work across the United States for survivors of childhood sexual abuse, of which she is one.
1: I read for the part of Laura. Which, can you, then that would have been so wrong. I mean, (laughs) Melissa Gilbert is clearly Laura Ingalls. And then I read for the part of Mary, which would have been a bigger disaster. And then I get the script, and I'm sitting there with my father, and I get the pages. And I turn to my father. I said, this is not a normal audition. And he said, what? I said, this girl's a total (laughs) And he said, what? (laughs) It's that first episode, Country Girls, where I do the thing about my home. By the time we got in the door, my agent was on the phone and he'd already made the deal. It was the word I mean, they literally we walked out the door and they called the agent and said, We're done. That's that's it's her. Was that your hair? For the first few months, which meant I was twelve years old and sleeping in curlers and coming in at four o'clock in the morning to have my hair curled, and it was horrible. And they said, No, we're getting a wig. Custom made, fitted to my head, one of the most expensive wigs ever made, the hand-tied individual hair. Fantastic, except it had a giant metal comb right here, Ooh. which meant it stayed on when going down hills in wheelchairs and rolling around yeah, in the wow. mud. You know, it was very sturdy. Most painful thing ever. It was excruciating. This thing was put on my head every morning with <laughs> all the pins. And I'm like, okay, this is why I am so mean because my scalp hurts. <laughs> <It was stupid. laughs> Looked great, really felt terrible. <laughs> <laughs> on
2: screen, the villainous Nellie was the rival to the virtuous Laura. Off-screen, Alison and Melissa Gilbert became friends from day one.
1: Yeah, right away, from the get-go, from the first day, it was like zing, yeah. And she was very happy to meet me and very happy to do all the fight scenes. And I remember it was so hot that day, I, I would pass out from the heat all the time. Yeah. And I just out like a light and they revived me. with like the whole thing with the thing under the nose. Salmon. The smelling salts. But yeah, the little ammonia caps and salt tablets, is disgusting. <laughs> That'll wake you up, that stuff's nasty. <laughs> so I'm recovering from fainting. I took a nap and she's pacing outside the dressing room. She's saying, well, she has to get better. I have to punch her in the face later. <laughs> and she was so upset that I was sick because we have a fight scene, I get to hit her. And she was like bummed that like she's gonna miss out. So luckily I recovered in time for her to punch me in the face. What was Michael
2: Landon like? I mean, perfect father material on screen. He was a bit wilder in life. He was he?
1: wild. He was a very fun person. Great with the children, an overgrown child himself. He liked practical jokes, he liked terrible jokes, he liked laughing. We laughed so hard. But he was he was definitely like, we are going to make this show and we're going to get this done. And that was that, and you did your schoolwork and you kept your grades up and you knew your lines and you did your thing. And then the rest of the time he was mad and hilarious. And I mean, you know, he was married a couple of times. and. He enjoyed things like wild turkey and cigarettes and blonde women <laughs> and he is popular in Australia. Michael and his family used to vacation in Australia. They loved Hawaii and they loved Australia. I will meet people and they say, well, my parents worked in a hotel and he came in. My mother ran a store and Michael Landon came in. And I said, I think every person in the country of Australia has actually met Michael <laughs>
2: Alison is the polar opposite to the snobbish, selfish and thoroughly unpleasant Nellie. At time, though, fans were unable to distinguish the actress from the role.
1: I remember during the show, when I met people, they got quite freaked out and terrified. Why had somebody threw a cup of orange soda at my head during a Christmas parade. Got right in the face. They had really good aim. It was a moving vehicle, a moving target. And I was like, and it was Christmas. Were you okay? I, I was sort of shocked, and then I was really relieved it wasn't a beer bottle. <laughs> and, and then I was like, the aim. I mean, this movie is so angry. I must be really good. I, what am I doing right here? You came from a Shabby's family. You said your mum was the voice of Casper yes. the Ghost. Gumby, sweet Polly, Purebred, underdog's girlfriend. Oh, Mighty Mitor. I don't know if anybody reruns that, but it was Mighty Mitor she was in everything and it was incredible so on my saturday mornings my mother's voice was coming out of the television it was very bizarre
2: landing the role of nelly didn't just turn allison into a household name it allowed her the confidence to open up after the most painful period in her life
1: i unfortunately i i survived um sexual and physical and emotional abuse and so many people so many people i hear from have the same same thing That's and exciting. and it was very difficult as a child and then i was very shy and and then, yes, bullied at school even before I was Nellie Olson, you think. I already was like 10 for 10 losing before. But then I got the part of Nellie. And here was this girl that other people were afraid of. And here was this tough girl. And it allowed me to vent all my rage and yell and scream and throw things. And being allowed to express all that dark parts of your person, howling your anger massively therapeutic it just, it just really was. So you were abused by someone
2: who was related to you, not your mother or father. So what sort of closure have you been able to have?
1: Closure, I mean my father always used to laugh and say there's no such thing as closure you know. That's only on TV shows. Is he right? Kind of. It has been a marvelous thing that I've been have, able to help so many people. I have had so many people write to me and call me and tell me that my going public helped them. So knowing that that's happening that I am making a difference, that other people will not suffer what I suffered bet that's, yeah, I sleep really good at night.
2: I'll bet you do, and so do a lot of other people, thanks <laughs> to you. Little House ended more than three decades ago, but it still draws a huge global audience in reruns. And in an unlikely country,
1: France. How would you La say? La Petite Maison down the prairie. <laughs> and it's been on every single day at noon for like 40 freaking years. I always say they like me best course. Uh, well, because they don't really think Nellie Olsen's mean, they, they think she's French. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Seems like a nice girl to me.
2: By the end of Little House, Nellie and Laura were the best of friends. That hasn't stopped Alison and
1: Melissa having some fun at our expense. We're terrible as it is. Sometimes we have fake Twitter battles and people on Twitter <laughs> go, oh no, Laura and Nellie are fighting again. Oh no, oh no. We'll like <laughs> pretend to hate each other on Twitter just to get them going. We wind you... people up on the internet. Hi, I'm Leah Harris.
2: In the Where's William Tyrrell podcast, I tell the story of the little boy who disappeared from his foster grandmother's home more than five years ago as the journalist who's been on the journey since day one. It's a story that is as baffling as it is heartbreaking, and I'm glad we could give William's foster parents the chance to tell their side of the story in their first interview in almost four years. The most recent episodes have focused on the coronial inquest into the disappearance of William Tyrrell along with the case against former lead detective on the investigation, Gary Jubelin. And I spoke with Mr Jubelin not long after he was convicted of illegally recording a person of interest in the case. You can listen to Where's William Tyrrell and our other 10 Speaks podcasts on the Acast app or wherever you get your podcasts. Few former child stars have found their name in the headlines quite as much as Danny Bonaducci. Of course, we remember him as the wisecracking, red-headed kid Danny Partridge in the Partridge family. But his road to adulthood was, suffice to say, a little rocky. He was arrested numerous times, including once on drug charges just before he was about to host an event for an anti-drug campaign aimed at children. But he's all clean and sober now and has his life back on the tracks. In fact, he's an incredibly successful radio DJ in Seattle who does a bit of boxing and wrestling on the side. It was a joy to catch up with him because he's still one of the funniest blokes walking the planet. Danny, it's so great to meet you at last.
3: a pleasure to meet you.
2: So the, the creepy feeling that must be for you when... People like me grew up watching you on television. Now we get to meet you and we just say how much we love you and how much you haven't changed and how you don't look any different. Do you love all that?
3: (laughs) Well, if anybody says to me, hey, you don't look any different. I mean, I'm grizzled and I'm bearded. I look some different. You're still cute and cheeky. it's, uh, it's, It's really nice.
2: And so you've seen Shirley. No, what did you say when you saw
3: her? Um, I said, uh, your husband is a huge pain in my ass. I swear <laughs> to God. It's the first thing I said to Shirley Jones. And Marty heard it and Marty cracked up. Marty and I have a very nice relationship. And then I kissed her and hugged her and told her how great she looked. You know, she's, uh, it's not flattering to say about a lady, but in these days and age, you can just Google anything. She's 81 years old to my understanding. My mom's 90 and frail. So I put my hands on Shirley. She's sturdy, man, and she, she looks great. She's ready to go.
2: Yeah, she's uh, she's incredible. Do you still call a mom? Do you think of her as a mom? I mean, you've got a mom, but...
3: <laughs> I do, I got a mom, she's 90. <laughs> uh, no, never called, uh, I never called, Shirley mom, because she played Shirley on the show, she, right. it's like Danny and Danny, Shirley and Shirley. Uh, my, my fondest story about Shirley Jones switching into what's we, uh, what's real and what's fantasy is I was being a jerk, which I did a lot on that So that was, was a handful on that show and she was getting madder and madder and I was blowing lines and wrecking takes and finally she got really mad and she says, Danny, that's it, you go up to your room and don't come out. <laughs> And everybody just froze because there's no upstairs and there's no room. There's just <laughs> lunacy. It's and, and when she realized what she did, she burst out laughing. But yeah, the blurred lines every now and again.
2: Well, I've been chatting to her and she said that later in life when you were a bit naughty as well that she had cause to give you a call and um, play the mother card again.
3: Yeah, I'll tell you, if if by a, <laughs> a bit naughty you mean being high as a kite for yeah. about a decade. Yeah, that's basically yeah, And I did, that story's completely true because sometimes these stories get built up but that story's completely true and I was going through a really dark time and the phone rings and I, and I pick it up. And just, I knew who it was immediately. Danny, are you okay? I'm hearing <laughs> troubling things about you. Straighten <laughs> up. But she actually went, Shirley Partridge just told me to be good. I better be good.
2: Did that pull you out of it? Was that was that one of the things? God, I'd love to, to
3: say, yeah, that did it. <laughs> that did it. <laughs> that did Shirley called. I never drank or smoked drugs again. Uh, but it was part of the things. When I tell my story of how everything came around, that's a big part of it, that story. That was amazing to me that that happened. Mm. But Shirley used to do a lot of things like that. I had trouble at home with my dad, a violent guy. And uh, on weekends, Shirley Jones and Reuben Kincaid and Dave Madden would just kind of flip a coin to who's going to get me this weekend and I'd go with home with one of those. It's fabulous. It couldn't have been a nicer way to grow up. So when we
2: read of child actors having a troubled time growing up and so forth, do you think that's because of being child actors or do you think there's always something else? Not, sort of not even not
3: even slightly. You hear it all the time because there's more than a handful of ex-child stars
2: yes. that have
3: gone round the bend, if you will. Uh, a guy I work with every so often, Leif Garrett. You know Leif Garrett? Leif
2: Garrett, What yes. a
3: lunatic that <laughs> <laughs> guy is. Somebody wake up Leif, we want to film a show here. But a lot of people, the guys that got in trouble, they do as often as not blame being on TV. But you want to look at a flip side of that coin. Inter- uh, interview the Brady Bunch. One nicer and sweeter and better than... This guy's college educated. This guy's got his own business. They're a great group of people. So I think people that blame television for their own shortcomings are just weak. So you don't... Not you, at all. Not no. even the slightest bit. And it's I take responsibility for what I did. And I take resp- responsibility for stopping. You know, yeah. I'll take all the kudos, but I have to take all the responsibility.
2: How hard was it for you to stop? How hard was your battle?
3: Well, I'm uh, 55 and I've been sober five years. So it was a long, ugly battle. I was married to a very nice young lady. I've been married to several very nice young ladies. But uh, you know, I was married to a girl, uh, much younger than I, and she just like, she had never expected or experienced anything like me. She said, I just can't do this. You're crazier than I thought. You're crazier than I've heard. I'm not sure what the Partridge family was, but it's bad to me now. <laughs> and like, so I said, wait, please don't go yet. I'll straighten up, and now it's been five years.
2: Good on you.
3: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks.
2: You're proud of yourself? Oh
3: God, crazy bad proud of myself. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud of the girl that was there that said, "Okay, this is this is the end yeah. of the ride, Because a lot of people said it. A lot of people cared about me, and a lot of people wanted me to stop, but didn't have what it, what it was going to take to step in front of that freight train, which was me being drunk.
2: Yeah, and you're lucky you're alive. Too, yes, I after am. After a couple of incidents, aren't you?
3: Yes, I am. Real, real lucky to be alive. But you're on. By rock- the way, just to tell you this. Because since you brought that up, do you know I'm driving to high school one day around 1976, maybe? Yeah. Driving to high school, and this disc jockey, famous disc jockey, uh, whose name uh, escapes me at the moment, but he's my favorite uh, disc jockey, and he comes on the radio, cuts this song up, and he goes, Ladies and gentlemen, I am uh, sad to report the world of show business has taken a devastating blow. Danny Bonaducci, Danny Partridge of the Partridge Family, was found dead. In his uh, apartment on apparent drug overdose. And I went, I feel okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Rick Dees, that was the name Rick Dees, reported Deese. that I was dead. And I, I said, well, you know, being dead is a reason not to go to the 11th grade. So I went back home, but the phone's ringing. There are people I owe money, they're furious I'm dead. My mom's very upset that I'm dead. It was a weird thing. So when you say you're lucky to be alive, there were really some times I shouldn't have been.
2: I actually interviewed Susan Olsen about three weeks really? ago, and you might remember there were rumours that she died, Cindy yep, Cindy yep, Brady. Yep. There were big rumours she
3: was a porn star a and nothing crash. was true.
2: She did the music. Yes, she did the, the music. Yeah, she the music. On, she didn't take show. her clothes off and go <laughs> I to town. But I'd yes. have seen it if she'd
3: have <laughs> done it. <laughs> honey, honey, the Brady girl's naked, we got to go.
2: <laughs> but, yeah, she had the same thing. They said that she died in this horrific bus yep. crash and everyone's calling and so, yeah. I'm so glad you're both still with us. You're on the radio in Seattle. We can listen to you it's on Seattle, the radio.
3: Washington. Going very well.
2: What do you love about the radio? Do you love the immediacy?
3: Uh, it is the absolute immediacy. It's not like I don't rehearse. I would. I would work really hard for the money. They're, they're <laughs> atrocious hours. But I would work hard for the money if it called for it. But that's just not the kind of show I do. The kind of show I do... The song leading into my intro runs out, and I better start talking, and I better say something good right now, and that's what I love about it. It's just, you know, you're on your toes every inch of the show.
2: Uh-huh. Do you still get into trouble sometimes with what you say?
3: Oh, constantly,
2: constantly. <laughs> you're on social media. Do you interact? Yeah, all, all the time, mm-hmm. all
3: the time. In fact, my wife tells me if I don't tweet at least at least three times a week, I will lose followers yeah, so at least three truth. times a week. But it's like the pressure to be clever three times a week. Are you kidding <laughs>
2: you've had so many adventures in australia i have you were an honorary australian really for a while that we couldn't get rid of you what did you like about the joint
3: i I was i loved every every everything about australia and the reason i've done so much in australia because it's not always easy to do a lot of the stuff in australia but i always thought that i would end up either doing the show there which i was this close to doing or just retiring there. so i thought you know keep a face in australia keep doing as much as often as australia wants to talk to you do it so I explain this right here, well, I, I might be moving to your fine country. <laughs> we have a show
2: on Network 10 called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. They, they called.
3: They called. They called, they called up, and they said, uh, uh, they offered me a whole bunch of money to come to Australia. And I said, I I have a job. I can't just come and live in the jungle for six weeks. And I even, you know, I figured out like, oh, if I just punch a guy in the face, they'll throw me out. I only need four weeks. But (laughs) I I just, I I couldn't do it. So then they said, hey, if you can't do the whole celebrity, get me out of here. So how about the celebrity in a box? Stupidly, I asked, what's that? It's a celebrity (laughs) in a box. So they said, it'll only take you a day, but you have to fly here. And I said, I can't miss that kind of work, because my, my bosses are always nervous that I'll leave for TV. And I won't. I won't leave. It's Radio's the best. But uh, You've said that on TV now. <laughs> I have said that on TV. Oh, if you got an offer, just offer me off TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got it.
2: <laughs> oh, that's but I funny. wish
3: I could have done. It would have been great.
2: We could see you in the jungle eating witchy grubs. You know, Maury McCormick did
3: it. I do know that.
2: Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah, she ate some really disgusting things on national television. Are you up for that sort of thing? We can oh, jump off things and, please. and dive into the You them? know, uh, eat, uh, eat really, Marcia,
3: really? when Marsha Brady was able to, like, eat grubs, Yeah, I'd eat Marsha Brady. Two <laughs> seconds to get <laughs> out of being in the jungle. That's She's going to be a leg, got to get out of here.
2: That's so wrong, Danny. <laughs> in so many ways. <laughs> was there a Brady Bunch, um, Padgett family rivalry? I mean, the timings were a bit different.
3: There was some rivalry in the sense of who was more popular or who had, you know, because when I say heartthrobs, and you got Greg Brady against David Cassidy, yeah. Cassidy wins. That's a, you know, and I don't have that many strong emotions to David Cassidy. He just was the heartthrob. So yeah, there was some rivalry, but I feel that we that we won it.
2: And on what basis?
3: Because I say so. <laughs> what else you possibly need? I love it. I love it. Because well, we never got perms. Uh, you see those crazy guys with those crazy perms? <laughs> wow. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. I'll be grubs. I'll perm my hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's wrong with you people.
2: But you're naturally curly.
3: I am naturally curly.
2: So you didn't have to. So that doesn't count. But
3: that, but that was not hip to the part. Really. That was nothing we were going to do.
2: You, you mentioned Dave Madden. You two seemed to have a special relationship. Yes, with we did. Cam- Was that real? Was nope.
3: that- uh, more so off-camera than on. We had the on-camera relationship that people wrote for us. We had the off-camera relationship that we sincerely had. And David, uh, how do I say this because he's a lovely man, but he's not always. He, might, he had some <laughs> issues that nobody seemed to know about. Like my issues everybody ended up hearing about. He kept his under wraps. I'll give you a, an example, and this is just an example. We were going to his house one time, and he lived in uh, Malibu, the end of a huge canyon with a crate. You could fall off this canyon and die. And he said, do you want to learn to drive? Do you want to learn to steer? Because I couldn't reach the pedals. And I said, yeah, he goes, sit on my lap. And I said, okay. And he goes, now hold us here." And, he, and I took a couple of turns, and then he goes like this. And I'm screaming, get up, it's not funny. And he doesn't touch the brake. We start screeching, our t- his head's going like this, bang, bang. <laughs> banging against stuff that was the Dave Madden I know and love and I knew how to drive by the end of the, ca- of the canyon I had it completely I got this
2: I love it I could listen to you all day daddy thank Thanks. you so very much kind. for chatting to me today thank you Well, I hope you've enjoyed that trip down memory lane with some of our favourite child stars. And guess what? I've got a few more up my sleeve, so keep an eye on your podcast app, because we'll have another one for you in the not too distant future. Thanks for listening. I'm Ange Bishop, and this has been Starstruck, a Studio 10 podcast
0: for 10 speakers. Planning for your next trip?